Hello, gatherers. This show is brought to you by ComicWow.com. If you love comics, check out ComicWow.com, your media hub devoted to comics, comic industry, and the pop culture that surrounds it. Now, on with the show. Welcome once again to another wacky and zany episode of Indie Comics. I am your host, Jeff, and I'm pretty sure you've heard me a time or two on The Gathering, on Many a Spot, and just whatever other shows you've had the pleasure of listening to. Today is October 14th, 2015, and let us just see who else is with me here this fine day. This is Evan. Hi, this is Albert from the Spoilers Please podcast. And this is Tyler from The Gathering. Welcome, one and all, guys. Now, the format of this episode will be different than you are used to. Instead of us going into our picks of the week, or the oldie book goodie, or the who dat, we will instead have two sections. In one, we will look in more depth at a creator provided with information provided by yours truly, and then we will get into a discussion between my guests and I regarding the particular book that I have chosen. Now, on with another dose of Indie Comics with Jeff. All right, now we are on our first section devoted to Creator's Corner, and this month we are looking at Stepan Shayich. Now, recently, I had the pleasure of interviewing this guy whom I had spotlighted in the last episode section of Who Dat? Suffice it to say, he was most willing and receptive to the questions asked, and his responses, I believe, reveal real insight into the comics industry, independent comics in general, as well as creator-owned rights. That's so awesome. Now, one question that I asked him was more or less, you know, discussing sources that I had read regarding that he originally wanted to pursue a career as a lawyer. And, you know, looking back on it, you know, he eventually became an artist. And did he feel that he made a comfortable decision with that? Suffice it to say there, he said it wasn't really much of a decision because people have misunderstood in old interviews that he had given about saying that, you know, he originally wanted to be. It was more not really a, not really so much a choice as something that he had to do. But at the last minute, it was a decision on his part that he couldn't really affirm to it. But it also shows deficiencies in the Croatian educational system that he has alluded to that, you know, he didn't really want to go into. So suffice it to say is I think he feels that he made a better decision becoming an artist and not doing something that he felt that he had to do by becoming a lawyer. I think so, too. Like I, last episode, I'm, I'm in absolute awe, awe of all of his art. Oh, yeah. If anybody has seen one bit of art that he has done, you would almost cringe to think that, you know, that could have been somebody defending somebody in a, in a, in a courtroom someday. And I'm thinking, like, wow, such raw talent that would have been totally wasted away in the courtroom. And it's, you know, it's just being worked into a much better medium now, I think. Well, imagine his artwork in the courtroom depictions. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> imagine that even more. I mean, it's just amazing. Now, as far as things that he has worked on i also had the pleasure of asking him what he was uh which one he was most proud of in other words you know he's worked on so many things for top cow and other industries that i kind of wanted to know you know did any really stand out that he is most proud of and he says well again that's not really a choice that he can make i mean each project that he had made is profoundly different with focuses on different things in the end, he says he's equally proud of Ravine and Sunstone and Death Vigil, Vigil that I can really recommend to you people out there, as well as Switch, which is the pickup after the current Witchblade, of which we find now that somebody else bears the Witchblade now, and he's going to be all part of that. He says that Ravine is probably his first love, and also it's a tribute to his collaboration with his friend Ron Mars, who you guys know is writing so many episodes of uh, Witchblade. Sunstone, of course, is one that changed him and gave him the confidence to finally start really flapping his wings in the writing department. And Death Vigil, in his opinion, is one that cemented his confidence. 
Switch, however, is the one that he says is where he finally puts it all to the test. And if you guys have read Switch so far, which is going to be available real soon, you can see why that is. He finally brings it all together. And that's why this is just going to, it just shows you a rising star that's just going to be rising higher and higher. That's really cool. I really like Ravine. Ravine like, is I, awesome. I think it's oh, yeah. a great book. If you've not read it yet, I would highly first. recommend Ravine, guys. He does the art for Sunstone, correct? Yes, he does. Oh, yeah. okay. Yes, he does. Yep, that is his art style. He that that that's his baby right there. Now, I also asked him because after asking him which, you know, book that he was most proud of, I then thought, well, let's do the flip side of that. Is there anything maybe in the superhero or supervillain world or comic book entity that he would absolutely love to either be writing or doing the interior art for for that he has not done so already? His answer, suffice it to say, kind of surprised me, but then again, not really. He says, really none. He says, yeah, those kind of things pay the bills, sure, but they were never his end goal. He preferred being a god in his own worlds rather than an assembly machine in another person's factory. And I love that quote right there, that he would rather be his own person than actually be a cog in the machine. That's why yeah. he prefers creator-owned books in rare situations of complete freedom where he, he, will, where he can switch. I think there's a reason why we all like reading independent comic books more. Exactly, exactly. We're not so much wanting to be at the whim of some higher power, but we actually have a say in what we want to actually read and what we want. And I get that impression right from Stiapon right there. Well, honestly, I think it's more of like we like reading good writing. Yes. And a lot of the times, the independent ones can really go all out with the writing. They go all yeah. out with the writing, and they're not at the whim of some higher-up editor who says, ah, now you need to change so-and-so and so and and all that. No, with a creator-owned work like this, you're pretty much your own editor, so you decide which way you're going to go. And that's the impression that I got from Stia Pond's, uh words when he was giving to me right here. He really knows what he wants. He knows his end goal. He knows what he wants to accomplish. And, you know, like he said, I live and die by my own skill there, and I like it that way. Could not have said it better from a creator-owned kind of person. Now, after that, of course, we all know that, you know, he's married to Linda Luxik-Sigich, and they often work in collaborations together. And I asked him, well, there's many situations where we see some collaborations where both partners pursue the same goals or even work together. And I asked him, you know, more or less how it is working with Linda, whether it's regarding stuff like that. He says his collaborations between him and his wife are minimal, but they, they both do their own things, but they run by them each other as sort of a first impression or editorial kind of thing. They're almost their own editors, so to speak. At times, they also help each other out with specific information. Like, for instance, he said Linda was of great help when he was writing Sunstone because apparently he needed the honest insight into physical side of things, which he could only guess at and, and, and talk about. So apparently she was good in helping him set set straight his point of view when he was doing that writing and of course you know same was was with his involvement when he was when he was helping her edit for what she was doing in her own series called bloodstain so it really shows you the dynamic that sometimes that wife and husband kind of team kind of is really cool if you think about it when you're working in an industry like this especially in something where you know you're working on your own works and you're not the, at the whim of a larger company. Well, certainly true with, like, uh, Matt Fraction and Kelly Sue. Uh, oh, Dukan. yeah, that's yeah. probably one of the bigger examples from one of the big two right there. Yeah, you definitely see it all over the place. Mm. And I really, I really like seeing that, too. Now, as far as work that I've asked him, I asked him, you know, are there any new and innovative projects that he's currently working on that you can allude to uh, Sidorian fans about? 
he pretty much said it's just about Switch and Sunstone at this point. Now, depending on whether or not Death Vigil trade tanks or whether it's successful, there is a chance of continuing the story by which I highly recommend Death Vigil, guys. It comes out this week, and I, I can't emphasize it enough. You must read Death Vigil. It's just awesome. But he's looking forward to, if it is successful, to telling the full three arcs and some minis as well. Chances are that it probably won't be that stellar, but he is hopeful at least that it's going to at least make bank. And I really hope it does too, because anybody who's not reading Death Vigil right there, you guys are doing, you guys are doing a disservice not only to him, but to yourselves. I, I can't emphasize it enough. Sounds like something I'll be reading tonight. Exactly. I think, exactly. I, saw, I, think I saw a preview of that. Yes. At the comic book store. It's a... Uh can you give us a basic description of the plot? Uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a fantasy kind of theme, almost almost like a saints kind of thing. It's it, it's real good. I, it's one of those kind of things you really have to read in order to, to understand. It's one of those one of a kind kind of things you have to actually pick up and read yourself because sometimes words just can't even begin to describe how good of a book it is. And of course, Top Cow puts out just awesome stuff i mean there's no way yeah. really to go about it <laughs> yeah albert just showed us the cover oh yeah i, I like it yeah I like that, the, and that's one like of the, the, art. the other one that i'm particularly that's fond really of is the cool. one where it shows the main character on the front with the shawl over her head mm. which i'm absolutely in love with now what also i was asking him since we are basing this this month's work as being rat queens i asked him what was the most fun part about working on the Shadowline book rat queens and he said, working with Curtis Weeby, who is the writer, he said that was probably the most interesting part. Now, he says this is a great guy. And beyond that, it was pretty much a self-sacrifice. He accepted the gig initially because he was a fan of the book. And he's not a fan of many books, to be quite honest. He, he has very rare tastes of epic mixed with comedy. So something like this really appealed to him. Now, he originally apparently didn't want to work on Rat Queens in the same way he'd never liked to work on another new Mass Effect game. But there are so few things that he genuinely enjoys, and spoiling them in this way was certainly not his, in, his intent, nor was it really his idea of fun. But to put it like this, you guys got to see the, the, de the scene of the dead orc de uh, of the orc Dave and Violet kissing in that most epic way. Now, he had to have it all spoiled and actually draw it. Strangely enough, things eventually lined up horribly, but with his health taking kind of a turn for the worst as of recent, he eventually had to get off of the book, and that's where we have now Tess Fowler and uh, Tamara Bond Villain working on the book as well. They're happy that they're doing the, the works now, and of course he's happy as well because he can uh, focus on his own works that he's been doing as well as getting his health back, by which I hope you're pulling through and you're going to eventually get well soon, Stiepon, and uh, moving on from there. So it seems like something that you know he was both interested in, but at the same time... It was a rare opportunity, but, you know, we're, all, we're only human, guys. Things get in the way of that. Life gets in the way, and sometimes you can't um, commit to it like you once did. I mean, we're only human. Yep. Now, this is probably the poignant question that I really want to not just paraphrase for you fans out there, but actually to quote since this answer stood out to me more than anything else. I asked him... Which aspect of the comic creator role do you believe more defines you? Sure, you're both a writer as well as an artist, but which do you identify as first and foremost in your professional career? Now, his answer was, I am a storyteller. Writing and art, in my case, are one and the same. If you look at my YouTube videos, you will notice this oddity about my process. I let the pages play out and the story tell itself. I write by flat-out drawing and then let the characters speak. It is a very organic and satisfying approach. 
I love that answer. And that just it's a very that, interesting way to to do that process. Yeah, because you know normally, whenever I've always thought about writing, it seems like you would have the idea in place already, but this guy actually draws out the scene before he has them speak. Well, it's almost, it's similar to the fact that sometimes, you know, in the filmmaking world, there's a similar thing where people have a scene, an idea about a scene, and normally they would write out all the dialogue and the conflict and then have the actors do it. Sometimes they don't do that. They know what the scene's about, and then they just let the actors kind of improvise through it and create the scene through that. Right. You, using the filmology thing, you get this also when a director is also the writer. He knows exactly uh, what yes. he wants on scene. Exactly. And in a way, easier. yeah, and in a way, that's kind of what you can say Stiepon's doing with his book Sunstone. I mean, pretty much he's his own editor and he's his own writer with that. So, you know, the process, it, it, it really does make sense. But that still just stands out to me so much. It's such a poignant answer. I cannot, I cannot love it enough that that is his process. It's just amazing. Do you know how many YouTube videos he has? Uh, I can't say off the top of my head, but really, if you look on YouTube and you put, and you put in Stepan, he really, he really invites you into his world when he's doing his style. I mean, I can't recommend it enough. Go on YouTube, punch in his name, and you should find some interesting stuff about how he does his, how he does his books, his method, and everything involved with that. Is it kind of like Bob Ross? It's like we're over here. We're gonna paint a little angry orc right here. I would say I would say he's probably just a little bit more intense than Bob Ross, dude. <laughs> to answer your question, it's uh, he has fifty-six videos. Okay, fifty-six. So it's so a sizable number. It's not bad. Fifty-six videos. Over fifteen thousand subscribers right now. Yeah. Wow. So Good for yeah, him. it's it's something that people are really are really wanting to see. I mean, this guy is this is no small potatoes going on here, guys. This guy really knows his stuff, and he really puts it out there. Now, all right. after all that. Pretty much, since we've covered so much about him, his career in the industry and all that, I pretty much asked him from this point, is there anything really that he would like to share with us that's not been asked before? And this, this answer I'll probably uh, quote as well because it's actually pretty funny what he said. He said, there's nothing really worth mentioning. I'm generally pretty honest and open about myself. Now, those who know me online pretty much know me. I'm the same dumbass in person. I laugh a lot. <laughs> when Linda and I together, we drop people's IQs with our dumbassery. So, you know... He obviously, he's a very down-to-earth kind of guy, and he's, very, he's, he's a very friendly kind of guy. Very well-rounded, I would say. Awesome. So pretty much with Stiapon, what you see is what you get. That's great. And you can't, you, you can't ask for anything more than that when you're looking in, into creators in the uh, independent label nowadays. I cannot think of anyone better to be doing the books that he is than what he has done right now and what he will continue to do. So it's go great. out there, guys. Get more Death Vigil. We want to see the arcs finally come out. Do Death Vigil, do Sunstone, and commit to Switch, guys. This is a new era for Witchblade, and you'll be doing a service to him by looking into these new books. And more importantly, you'll be doing a service to me, because I love Witchblade ever since way back in 95 when the first issue came out. And I want to continue to keep enjoying this, guys. So go out there. Go to your local comic book shop and get it when it comes out. And contribute to this, guys. You've seen the TV show, right? For yes. Blade? Yes. I actually really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and the movie, too. And that, that made-for-TV movie was pretty good, too. Oh, yeah. That was very good, actually. But, yeah, that's pretty much Stiepan Shayich, guys. And Stiepan, hope you get well soon, buddy. With that, we come to our first episode of Round Rock and Robin Discussion. And we are going to be looking at Rat Queens. And welcome one and all to our first Round Rock and Robin discussion where once every month I ask members of the Grand Geek Gathering to join me and talk about impressions of a particular independent label book. This month, already spotlighted in our last episode, I picked Rat Queens to be the volume we would discuss, specifically talking about the first issue. 
Now, in said episode, I gave you the basic rundown of the book, its characters, the genre it belongs to, and so much more. Now we are going to go further in-depth with the issue with me, Albert, Evan, and Tyler discussing Rat Queens number one. Rat Queens! Rat Queens! Rat Queens! So, okay, like I've said, this sh- this book pretty much is like what Weeby has said before. It's Lord of the Rings meets uh, Bridesmaids, pretty much. It's It's a mixture of... Classic high fantasy with a good bit of very hot comedy in it, maybe even raunchy comedy in some There's places. There's definitely a Judd Apatow, Seth Rogen type Oh, vibe. God, it's all over there. It's yeah. all over there, definitely. And, uh, yeah, so what we're going to pretty much be looking at now, guys, is thoughts and impressions and see what everybody thinks about the book and what your insights are, and we're going to go ahead and start off. So... First well, with you, Evan. What okay, do you think? so I'm the newest to this, although I've known about Rat Queens for, God, probably over a year at this point. Um, but well, it's I, just, just about right, since it's almost it's yeah. been in production for But I still never picked it up, for whatever reason, various reasons, but I just never had time to pick it up. Right, I've right. been reading a lot of other comics right. um, recently, and also just busy with other stuff. So, uh, luckily, I'm planning on getting back into comics coming up in the fall season, so Rat Queens seems like a good place to start. Uh, I just flipped through the uh, the issue Albert gave me, okay. um, and I will say that I I do love the uh, the art. Obviously, is great. Oh yes, yes. The um, artwork and the artwork, by the way, guys, is for the first issue was in the first arc. This was done by John Rock Upchurch. Actually, he did right. the interiors for the first one because Diapon didn't come around until issues uh, nine and ten. So the first vo- uh, the first uh, volume that was so the released first volume, if you find it in trade paperback, is pretty much up up church's uh, interior artwork, right? Yeah. And then the second one was Stepan. Uh, Stepan, a little bit of that, a little bit of, uh, and a few others as well. Okay, you know, speaking of artwork, the one thing I really appreciate about it is they're women in these books. Uh-huh. They they all have different sizes. Oh yes. yeah, that was yeah. A, that's been a major talking point about the the series in general since its beginning is that. They designed all the characters to look distinctly different. Sure, um, which is a nice touch because you do that get get that a lot. I mean, it can happen even sometimes with male male characters in comics too, but very much with female characters that they just start blending in together. It, yes. especially in superhero comics where. I'm looking at a picture of Bruce Wayne. No, it's Clark Kent. No, it's Bruce Wayne. Which one is it? Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. Well, the problem with a lot of superhero comic books is that everybody's a supermodel. Right. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's got either great muscles or toned chests or and that's big exactly boobs what you, or slim And that's exactly waist. what you don't get out of these four chicks right here. You do not see anything that's physically perfect or anything out of these ladies right here. No. I mean, they. I mean, in a way, you can kind of say they're stunning in their own way, but, you know, they're in an, probably in an almost unconventional type of beautiful, really. What do you think, Tyler? Well, it goes to what I was talking about in the last episode, where... Every single character has their own personality, and they are all very, very well written. Yes. And, um, no, I mean, I, I have nothing else to add. Well, I think, okay. I, I think the character design is stunning. I think every single one of them are distinctive, like just how they're written, how they move, how they, you know, just how they look. I- and the distinction helps with one of the most important things in something like this, especially when you do a team-based story. Sure. Every character has to create some sort of conflict with the other. Like, even though they work together as a team, you need to know that the personalities aren't completely in sync. Otherwise, you can just move dialogue from one character to the next. And what's very interesting about this, having read through a little bit of it, 
is that these characters do have distinct voices. Yes. Uh, each one is its own personality. And those personalities sort of rub together. Like, they work together, but they also are a bit conflicting. And I think that works really well. They work well together, and yet they grind on each other's nerves every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, so that goes well. back oh, yes. to your uh, bridesmaids analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or hell, we were talking about the Muppets earlier. The Muppets are a perfect example of yeah, conflict created through distinct Good personalities. Lord. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, well, let's look a little bit more into these characters real quick. So, you know, like I said, we have the four here. We have Betty, who's a halfling uh, orc that is not ju- it, that is sweet. She carries around candy all the time on her. And has, she's my favorite. And, and has uh, mind-altering mushrooms about her all the time. And she's a lesbian. I mean, what, what a more amazing kind of diversity can you have with a character like that? You have well, Hannah, who is uh, can be best described as a rockabilly elven mage. That wait, really has I got an answer to your question. Com- if she Sorry. was part cyborg, if, that would be the most diverse character of all time. If she was <laughs> part, part cyborg, cyborg, lesbian, halfling, and mage, was that what the other one? Oh, get out of the world of Aphrodite Nine, dude. We're not talking about Aphrodite <laughs> oh, Nine here. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things ever would be if there was like a mage character that had dyslexia. That's funny. <laughs> That's really funny. That actually would be pretty funny. Actually, it would. <laughs> from a comedic standpoint, that actually would be pretty I funny. I want to know how he would graduate from mage school. Exactly. Abra. 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 God damn it. Or something like that. We apologize to the Dilexia people out there. Yes, we meant no offense. We do. We definitely I just do. turned everybody into pudding. Oh, crap. <laughs> Potter, yeah. you fucked up again. <laughs> That's a good idea for a comic strip. So, yeah. if, I, so if I had to ask off the top of my head, guys, who would be your friend? I mean, Patrick, or Albert already said his. Yours is Betty then, right? Mine is Betty, because she's what, funny. Because she's real funny. Now, what about you, Evan? If you had to pick the four, uh, who, would your, who would your favorite May be? I look at the pictures of the four of them again? Sure. Just to get a... It's right there. Move to uh, with their names. Let's see. That. We got, no, we got Betty. We got Hannah. D. D is the human cleric that pretty much is... Uh, related to a bunch of blood drinking cultist types. I think and I would go. Violet is a dwarf. I think uh, just from the little I've seen, I'll go with D. I like D. Yeah, D's great. <laughs> D, D is awesome. D is awesome. She's she's almost. If I want to, if I wanted to say, she's almost kind of not not so much the black sheep of the group, but you never really can. Ex- you did really you don't black, know what did to you expect. You honestly from say her. black sheep. Just because she's black. Well, not just because she's <laughs> now, black. Now, now. But the fact that you really don't know what to expect from her. That's the impression I always get. I never know what to expect from that human cleric. So now you're saying black chicks are sketchy? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't <laughs> anyway. know. <laughs> anyway. Derailed. For me, I mean, it's a to- It's really a toss-up between Betty and Violet. I like I like Betty because, you know, she's so full fun of candy and loves to have the fun and everything. Yet at the same time, Violet... I think it's just so funny that she's a hipster dwarf that was the first of her kind to shave off her beard. <laughs> I just, you're going you to have to define to the listeners why you say she's a hipster. Because, well, the, because her hipster is different than what people Well, know. hipster in the sense that she claims she was the first one to shave off, to shave off her, her beard and everything. Because, yeah, we, we're in this paradigm right now where pretty much female dwarves in our high fantasy should have facial hair just like the men should. So... They're kind of going against the grain here and saying, well, she didn't want to have that, so she took it off, and she looks pretty much just like a, she looks just like a short uh, human woman, really. But she's actually a dwarf. Yeah, but later on in the story, she also mentions how she should consider growing her beard back. Exactly. according to her, she looks hotter that way. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that sh- and that just shows you. I mean, there's different conceptions of what is considered beautiful among all these different races in this high fantasy world. Yeah. Um, I think I have to do a toss up too. I really like D, and I really like Violet, and B- Betty's great, but I think the other two have a little bit more umph to them, I guess. And I think D is just a really, really hardcore badass. Oh yes, and uh, she so gets Hannah, and she, and she gets more so later on down the line. Hannah's awesome. I like all four of them. There's no filter with Hannah. She she pretty much she pretty much says up front what she thinks and everything, and she doesn't try to try to hide it. She doesn't try to sugarcoat anything. I mean that's piss and vinegar right there up front, and well, you know she well, puts Hannah it right in your face. Well, Hannah plays kind of like a bitchy character, but but in a sense that it's still kind of. No, she is playing a bitchy character. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, she is. Sure. I like Hannah because I like the one-liners. Yes. That's the true. one-liners <laughs> are good. It's almost very Spartan-like the way that she is. She thinks it's enough to say it in just one sentence, and that's about it. Like, especially in that part when the peaches are all saying, like, you know, ha-ha, you're all going to have to be cleaning up Gabo shit over in your quest and everything. And she pretty much raises her hand and says, oh, hey, so-and-so, this is how many fucks I give. And then yeah. suddenly she uh, she raises her middle finger right to them. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing about Hannah. She has a lot of enemies. <laughs> oh, yeah, she does. She burned a lot of bridges. She does. She's burned a whole lot of bridges, actually. But at the same time, she's the first one that we really – finally start to see some ideas about her family and everything because we see her have that little rune stone that she treats like a little cell phone which yeah. I thought was just, I thought that was just funny actually that yeah. they would try to include <laughs> modern technology but use it as a I'm sorry, rune stone. I actually kind of rolled my eyes when I saw that. I uh, mean seriously it, it is, you're going to put yeah. cell phones in this world? I know, I know. It's one of those kind of things like oh did you guys really have to do that? But at the same time it was effective. It was still effective. It was still effective, and it got its point across, but at the same time, it's like thinking, like, okay, so you're including a little bit of modern-day technology in there, which is fine. Yeah. I think it worked. But speaking of modern-day technology, the one impression I got from reading the book, it almost seemed like a satire of a role-playing game. Yes. Well, (laughs) because it's supposed to... Well, Curtis Weeby has said that this is supposed to be his love letter to Dungeons & Dragons. Well, there we go. So that's really where you see... That's really where you see a lot of his inspiration coming from, because... You have a lot of this going into the quest and then well, determining what your what your threat factor is and then going for it. Well, it pretty much starts in a bar. Starts in a bar, which is pretty much almost classic D and D right there. Yeah. And then they go into a cave. Well that's missing was a bard. <laughs> they needed to have a bard in the bar. Yeah, you need to have a bar, you need to have a bar fight going on and usually it's it starts right after some big brawl fight or something, which is where we find our rat queen starting. You from. don't want the guards to be called and then you roll a one. Yeah, the way the way I saw it, <laughs> exactly. the, rat, the rat queens are the human characters, the characters you play as a as a human, and yeah, sure. the, the, the town people who hates them because they always ruin everything. Which is what a player would do. You know, you you look at Legend of Zelda and, and Link is going through every house, is destroying pots, right? So yeah, this is kind of like what the rat queens are. You know, the sad thing is, I I mean, I really don't want to try to make too many comparisons here, but they almost they kind of. At this point, they kind of remind me of uh, Suicide Squad. They're pretty much they're, they're they're pretty much the a holes of the world that nobody wants to really associate with. But if we want to get something done, go ahead and use them. And you know, if they succeed, all well and fine. If they die off, who cares? They're the but, rat but, queens. But do you see it in my perspective, though? But yeah, the, sure. The, and the NPCs are the townspeople. Sure, the NPCs and are the townspeople. Every time people. the human players, so to speak, are in the town, they're always fighting monsters and things get That's blown right. up or 
You know, the right. townspeople would rather prefer that the main yeah. characters don't show up. Yeah, like we yeah. were peaceful until you guys showed up. <laughs> Everything was going fine until you guys exactly. showed up. Exactly, and, and the monsters and the gu- killing. And in fact, the guardsman Silver makes that clear to them. They're thinking like, "Hey, we protect this town." In fact, Hannah was saying that to Silver, and he was like, "You know what? That used to be true. Now all you guys do is drink and get into fights and pretty much cause ruckus." So yep. you may have had honorable intentions at one time, but now y'all are just a bunch of. Uh, you got un- my daughter high on shrooms. Or something like that. Or, yeah, exactly. Or, uh oh. <laughs> oh, no. Or something else Betty could have been doing. But, you know, like I said, you know, she is the lesbian of the group. So there, that probably has gotten a whole lot of townspeople pissed off at her as well. So who knows? But that's actually one of the things I have to say that's the, the mistake in a way to write this type of story would be that the characters be, would be too flawless they'd be too op in certain respects and the fact sure. that they are res- they do make these huge mistakes which do cost them sure makes that story so much uh better you know they don't make them yeah. perfect or you know the chosen one or something like that sure sure they're flawed characters they're that's and that's what makes them in my opinion more interesting than most of tolkien's characters well or at least anything, from the yeah the, the some of the early stuff of his. I well, read. a lot of the yeah. fantasy books and stories sure. from old times, well, old times, well, um, are always about a chosen one. Well, yeah, like, always an, about like an Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, yeah. man. Aragorn, yeah. right there. I mean, that's probably the perfect example, right there. Yeah, yeah. why Gimli's the more interesting of the characters. Yeah, exactly. Gimli's a fucking asshole. <laughs> e- even even for something like Harry Potter, you know, Harry Potter is pretty much the one. Right? Yeah, he's the right. one. Yeah, so a lot of the but stories. You can't, re- you can't really find that impression off of these four right here. It's yep. like these. These four are about as far uh, as far from being chosen ones as you could possibly be. I would love for there to be a chosen one story arc where they meet someone who is the chosen one. Oh, that'd be hilarious! And they have to like deal with him or her, and it's like some major setup. And they're like, "I have a quest to go on." Ah, all right. Well, yeah, but you see, that's funny because it's funny you mention it that be because the tagalongers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but that's what's funny about it because we actually do see some other groups in that. If you if you looked into the first episode, oh, yeah. the, the Rat Queens aren't the only group supposedly that are right. in this. There's also a group called the Peaches, which is hilarious because yeah. like among them is an uh, an orc female, a gnomish male, and uh, I think I think it was uh, one of the elves or something. You have another group which is called the Four Days because literally they're all named Dave, mm. and you have another group which is called in, in, um, Obsidian Sanctum or something like Obsidian that. Obsidian Darkness. Obsidian Darkness when they look like they look like emo kids. They look like emo yeah. kids pretty much but they they're kind of elvish really and what was the other one? The yeah, Brother Ponies. The Brother Ponies which the totally ponies. that's a total jump on the brony thing right there obviously. I mean they're obviously spoofing my little pony right there. It's hilarious. But um and they're pretty much they're the heroic ones are like it's like, they have a quest to do. It will be done, they say, or something like that. And, you know, so, yeah, you have all of the different God, imagine a crossover th- with this and My Little Pony. Oh, my good God. <laughs> well, don't you know, but... Fr- Brother ponies, yep. <laughs> it will be done, yes. Friendship is supposed to bring people together. Exactly. Fuck that! Yes, Drinks <laughs> bring people together. And, you know, and it's good you guys coming back to that whole thing about flawed, because... You would expect, because of them being so badass and everything, that n- nobody can lick to them. But they get into their first fight with this weird, strange, ninja-like assassin character at the end, and they may have gotten the they may have gotten the drop on him, but he hit back pretty hard too. I mean, he cleaved them up pretty good until yeah. out of nowhere, they get a total WTF moment. And you guys remember that? Especially Violet. W- the what? Oh, especially it, it, yeah. Violet. Yeah. 
because she's the one that goes willy-nilly into the fight, and she gets cleaved up a couple of times. And, you know, Betty gets heel kicked to the and chin. And she just bought that armor, too. She just yep. bought that armor. That armor yes. was two days exactly. away from retirement. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> that, that, I wasn't even supposed to be here today. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, I'm getting too old for that shit is what that armor was saying. <laughs> but anyway. and <laughs> He's so, dead, Jim. And, of course, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we have all of them going, and then just out well, of nowhere. You know, hold on, hold on. Speaking, speaking of the ninja assassin thing, they, they, they did also have a joke about tentacles. Like, Yo, his special power tentacles, was tentacles, yes, right? Yes, I was going to totally, totally think about that. There and was then one of Hannah's things was saying, was like, what's it men and tentacles? Sick Seriously. of this shit. Seriously. <laughs> and you can, see that, you can see that's a total anime slash uh, manga type uh, thing that they're talking about there. They're totally spoofing that. Which is hilarious because, you know, those black tentacles are coming up and they're grabbing at them. And Hannah's all like, what, the, what is this? What is it with guys in tentacles? Really? And then, of course, all of it comes to naught when that ninja at the very end says, you know, he's going to reveal all the intentions. And then out of nowhere, you have that big troll, war, that big troll suddenly yeah. smashing him to bits. Son which of is a kitten. Yeah, pretty much. You get your big WTF moment right there. Like, what the fuck, man? And then pretty much the issue is at an end. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and that's where it just pulls you in. Because Blurch. by that point, you want to know what, what is going to happen next. Exactly. I, I think that was my big, like, what the it's fuck? It's a great panel, I have to say. Oh, yeah. It's one of the best. Especially their reactions. I mean, every single one of them are going like, ah, ah. Like, what just happened here? You could definitely see this. I, I have to say, I think I heard a rumor that they are trying to develop this as a TV show. Yes, yes. And I covered that in, in, in my last show. Oh, you the did? The only thing is, it's been over a year that, that, that they said they were going to do that, and there's been no updates about it since. Well, they might be waiting for the next season. They might be slowly develop writing might the script be. and the story Bible. But also letting the main the thing the is comic actually go on a little bit so yeah. that when they do the actual TV show... They they don't have less material. They have more material. To Are write. you talking TV show like live action or or cartoons? Because I mean, well, this will most have likely it'd probably be a cartoon. For, well, from what I know is that they're thinking about it being an animation, and supposedly it'll probably be on Adult Swim if they do that. Oh well, yeah, that makes sense. Wh- that which makes nice. sense if they I do it on Adult Swim. I would love to see it as a live action though, not because look, don't get me wrong, as a huge animation fan, I think this could look gorgeous. Animated. You, but really, you really think that could be good on live action? You think? But well, because the budget th- will kill it, though. But I think that would make it such an interesting counterpoint to all the other serious dark fantasy. Game would of Thrones be to do. Yeah, Game of Thrones, <laughs> right. uh, Vikings. Uh, sure, but Vikings. all of that stuff, even the stuff that's not necessarily fantasy, but like Walking Dead or Preachers coming up. Sure. I, yeah. Although yeah. Preacher will probably have some humorous moments. But point being is that it would be interesting to see a live action version of this just because you could get the humorous moments in a live action fantasy and I don't think I've ever seen that I've seen it in animated form but I've never seen a live action fantasy be really humorous right like this would be I agree yeah I I agree there's a lot of seriousness out there like remember that show Mulaney oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) so mean but a show is so bad. Before we move on, I do like to point out that the, the issue ends with like a next issue banner, and it says, as a, you know, as a tribute to D and D. To D and D, yes. Surprise! Negative four penalty for initiative. Negative four That's penalty like, yeah. for initiative. Yeah, Only Dick somebody Dick who knows D and D would know something like that with yep. the role initiative. So you can see that Weeby is really influenced by D and D when he's writing this, and it just it, it comes out so well. He makes it so effective. Because how many times have we played a traditional D&D game where it just seems to be all a bunch of crunchy numbers and it just being so boring? I think that's kind of why he did this. He added the comedy in there to make it say, like, hey, D&D can be fun. 
you just got to make sure you have the comedy in there at the appropriate time when and where it's when and where it's appropriate. Mm, and that's yep. exactly where we have this story coming out of. Exactly. So let's go ahead. I mean, as a finishing move to this, how would you rate it out of a 10? Each and every one of you. If you had to give it a out of 10 rating, Tyler, what would you give it? Well, I mean, the, the series? Well, just from what you've read in the first issue so far. Oh, okay. Well, we went back. Um, just based on what you've read so far, I love what it. would you give it? I love it. I'd say 9 out of 10. Anything, any shortcoming you think that, that you think it needs or anything? Is or anything to improve upon from what you've read so far? Do you think anything's lacking? or No, because, you know, especially the first arc, it's all about world building. Right. It's about you understanding where the technology stands, uh, where their places are in society, who they are, and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I think it's actually a very, very, very strong beginning to something that has no... You know, background has no prior story. We're Fair just enough. judging the first issue, right? Yeah, we're just talking the first issue. I mean, if you read ahead and did some others, and y- you can, you know, share what you can. Well, I'll that, give it an eight, actually. Okay. Because I mean, yeah, the world building is there, but the it, they're still building. kind of building it. Sure. Right. Yeah, the characters exactly. are kind of developed, but at the same time, they're put in situations that are just designed to try and develop the characters. Sure. Uh, there were there were some things in the first issue that, was, that felt forced to me. You know, like, so like what, for instance? Just, know, just one example, if you well, had to think it, it, one. They, they toss a lot of things, like like the Hannah's fights with other people, just yes. to toss it in there, just to establish that it's there. Sure. I mean, the the, the rune thing. Was that in the first issue? Was the the which one? one? The rune phone thing. Oh, the rune phone. Yeah, that was issue That was in the one. first issue. That, that one was kind of like ra- roll. Yeah, yeah that was, was like, pr- yeah, yeah, really. And there were, there were a lot of things that seemed like it's kind of staged. But like I said, it's the first issue. They have sure. to do those kind of things. Yeah, you so got to establish it. it. But I like, I like the direction that it's going. That's good. Not good. All right. Uh, how about you, Evan? For me, I'm going to go with Albert on this one. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, I, it's really not fair for me to judge it quite yet just because I've barely sort of started this. But I will say that I agree. It's still doing a lot of world building. It's still figuring itself out. Uh, it's very strong, very strong for its first issue. But um, the one thing is I'll say is that I think uh, what I'll be very curious about is when after it sort of sets up its characters and after it kind of lets us know like what the main world is and what the rules are and stuff like that, I'm curious where either does it just go in a bunch of different directions or is there a real main story arc and see what kind of go- where he takes it, like how it progresses. But that's about it. I think I think I definitely think it's something everyone should be checking out. The answer is yes. Yes. Your answer, <laughs> the answer to your question is yes, because I've read up to issue 12, which is where it is currently. And yes, there is definitely a main story, but there's also a lot of veering off with the particular characters going off on their own things going on. So yes, it definitely is well-developed by issue 12, and there's a lot more going on, and it is a story that I believe is just going to get better and better with time. And that's pretty much Rat Queens for you. Hit it up at your local comic book store. You can already find the first trade paperback for it, which I believe is called Sass and Sorcery. Yeah. Available at your local comic book shop. With the second one, I think will be available soon, if not out already. And, yeah. And there is also a one-shot that deals with, uh, with an orc that was written by Tess Fowler that's also part of the main series, which is I cannot recommend enough. And, yeah, that's pretty much uh, Rat Queens for you. Go Rat out and Queen! get it. Red Queens! (laughs) And thank you for tuning in. Check out our other shows and offerings on iTunes and Podbean.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Send any comments, questions, or requests to grandgeekgathering at gmail.com. 
To stay updated on our network, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch TV. So come on and join the gathering. This show has been brought to you by the Grand Geek Gathering Network. Have an eerie week. Have a happy Halloween as well. And GGG! Son of a kitten. Requiem! <laughs> I'm so... Bye. <laughs>